Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. This report's brought to you by us, Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Ouch! Ugh! Ow! We fix these sounds. Find the cure to your sounds and check us out at leadingedgephysio.com. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Good to have you along for the ride tonight. It is 7.06. Keeping an eye on the baseball game here on the old tube. 4 nothing. Blue Jays leading Baltimore there in the bottom of the seventh. Also, I don't know if you heard this, that Blue Jays fan Ken Pagan, who threw a beer onto the field last October in the wildcard game against Baltimore, uh, been given a conditional discharge, uh, so he won't have a record if he finishes his community service. He's already done 100 hours. He's going to have to do 100 more hours. Can't go to a baseball game. Surprise, surprise. And, uh, yeah, I mean, one of those situations where you just think, you know, average, uh, quote-unquote, normal human being, and he uh, goes to a sporting event, and he turns into a wild animal. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. Should be able to get our guest here, Kellen. Got him? Okay, perfect. Uh, Sean White's going to join us in half an hour. Kicker for the Edmonton Eskimos. Interesting dude. Uh, getting his uh, pilot's license, so we'll find out more about that. But I'm pleased to welcome to the show now a uh, native of Fort Saskatchewan, former NHL defenseman Mike Commodore. Mike, you're on with Reed Wilkins. It's great to uh, connect with you. Thanks for being open to doing the show. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing all right. I'm actually having a hard day of work here. I'm moving my brother from one location to another in Calgary, and he's really putting the screws to it. Oh, jeez. And let me guess, you're getting paid in pizza probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm getting paid in pizza. All right. Well, uh, at least you're still in good shape. And you were telling me to, earlier today when we were texting to, to to line up a time here, you were just in Australia, and I believe there was hockey involved. What's the story here? Yeah, yeah, there was. It was actually I got an email a couple weeks ago about uh, about this. Uh, they call it the Ice Hockey Classic, and it, they've been doing it for five or six years. They did New Zealand one year, but then the rest of the years have been Australia. And basically, it's an all-expenses-paid trip to Australia, Canada versus USA. Um, it's, it's for charity, um, for the Stop Con- Concussion Foundation. So, uh, yeah, I said I would go, and I ended up being the captain for Team Canada, and Scott Hannon was the captain for Team USA. We played uh, two games. We played a Saturday night game in Sydney and a Saturday night game in Melbourne. Uh, it was pretty good. Like, in Sydney, there was 15,000 people there. Um, I was actually kind of nervous. It's been a long time since I played in front of anybody. And then in Melbourne, it was uh, probably about seven, 8,000. Uh, so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. Um, most of the guys playing were like 
you know, a little bit of NHL, younger guys like American League, East Coast League. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a good time. But, I mean, I don't play hockey anymore. I barely skate. So playing against guys that are still professional was a, was a real wake-up call. How competitive did the two games get? Because Canada versus USA, it's hard to have an exhibition game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was like, yeah, like, I mean, obviously there wasn't, you know, these guys are still playing, and, and you know, me and Hannon are retired, and Terry Yake was playing also. Um, yeah, like it was, it was, I would say, I mean, there wasn't much contact, but there was a lot of work. I mean, people were paying, like, tickets were at bare minimum 150 bucks a ticket so like you couldn't just go out there and dog it like it was you know like a beer league game or just like a kind of a bs summer skate like you definitely put the work in so yeah i mean i would say it was i mean it it, it wasn't quite like a regular season game but it was pretty much the same other than the hitting well, what sense did you get of the Australian fans' uh, reaction to hockey? And there are a lot of Canadians down there, uh, but having said that, I mean, it's it's far from their national sport or I think a daily daily passion. So what was what was the reception like to the games and some of the interactions you had? Uh, the, 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 uh, no, they were, they were good. I mean, yeah, it's not their game. I mean, rugby and Aussie rules football and cricket is what they do. Um, but, yeah, no, the reception was good. Like, I wouldn't say... You know, I don't think a whole lot of them knew a bunch about the rules. Um, but, I mean, hey, 15,000 people showed up to watch a hockey game, and they were paying minimum 150 right. bucks a head. Uh, so the reception was, was great. Um, but, yeah, no, they were, you know, I, I met a few of them. We did, you know, there was a bunch of stuff kind of off the ice and doing stuff like that to kind of boost the game, pump the game up and stuff like that. And the reception was good. I think people were excited. I mean, they've been going there for four or five years, and I think it's just keeping getting better and better every year they go. So they have, they do have. I, I knew this too a little bit. They do actually have a pro league in Australia. So there's guys that actually a, a guy named Rory. I don't know his last name. He played with us. He's playing. He's from Edmonton actually. He goes down there and, and he plays there in our summer, which is their winter. Um, but yeah, those guys. There's like six teams in the league, and um, they go down and basically everything's paid for. Learn how to surf. I don't think they really get like paid. You know, they'll find you a job right. if you want. But so it's a pretty good way for those guys to kind of travel and, and have a good time. Well, I'm gonna have to find this Rory guy. Sounds like he'd be a good guest. Uh, I, Mike, <laughs> Mike yeah, Commodore joining sure, us on Inside Sports. I, I remember his last name. Yeah, we'll we'll find him. We'll find him. Uh, I I, I want to talk about some current hockey stuff with you. But uh, I mean, you're an interesting guy because you uh, you stay involved in a lot of stuff. You climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Was it in 2016? What what's the story behind this? That is incredible. Yeah, no, thank you. And I'm like the furthest thing from a hiker, too. Like, I mean, I don't, I didn't own any of the stuff. It's not, I spent a lot of time in Calgary and in, and in Arizona. They have hiking there, too. I've never hiked in Calgary or Arizona. So it's not like I do this all the time. Um, but yeah, no, it ended up, you know, a, a friend of mine that worked for the Red Wings when I was there, you know, she was asking me to do some things. I'm, I'm very interested in military, military charities and stuff like that. I've always, I have a great appreciation for those guys and what they do for all of them. Um, but particularly the special forces guys interest me a lot. Um, anyway, so long story short, um, the, the girl who used to work for the Red Wings was now working for this charity. And she asked if I was, was interested in hiking Mount Kilimanjaro for the Duskin Stevens foundation. And, you know, she asked me probably, you know, you have to plan for this stuff. So probably like a year and a half out. And I didn't, I, I mean, I heard of Mount Kilimanjaro, but I didn't exactly know, you know, what exactly it entailed. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it, Thinking, not really thinking much of it. Year goes by, and they're like, okay, it's time to book your ticket. And I'm like, 
well, I gotta, where is this? And what's going on exactly? And then I looked it up and I was like, this is a legit hike. Um, but anyways, had to go get all the stuff here in Calgary and fly over to Tanzania. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was, I mean, I will admit there were some long days. I mean, and the hiking was eight days. We were eight days on the mountain, probably 11 days in, in Tanzania in Moshi. Um, but eight days on the mountain. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was legit. I mean, it gets, it's the highest mountain in the world that you can hike, like, without any, like, technical climbing skills. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, like, 19,400 and some feet. I don't know. I got a bunch of pictures. We made it to We did Summit. Uh, there was five of us that did it, two injured Special Forces guys. Uh, one guy was an Aussie but got hurt here. Um, and, well, got hurt in the United States in a, in a helo crash. And the other guy was a Delta operator that got shot three times in Afghanistan. Um so yeah, no, it was. Uh, I mean, it was legit. There was some of it that you'll like. You read about it online, and people are, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's not hard. It's not hard. And you know what? There are some days. Your average hiking day would be like six hours hiking, and you know, there are some days where it's not like it's it's not real hard. But they're just kind of getting you acclimated, where you kind of stay at the same. You go up and down a little bit. But out of the eight days, I would say there was two of them were extremely hard, with which. Summit day was probably one of the hardest days of my life. Like one of the only di- days of my life where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Cause we started hiking at like, I couldn't sleep at 15,000 feet. We started hiking at three in the morning. We summited at noon. And then the worst part of it was we had to go down. I mean, you have to descend, right? Okay. So the descent was awful. Oh, it was like a six hour descent. And I was moving too. And honestly, I, there was a point there where I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. But I did. Yeah, but I went you made straight it. Straight to bed. That's, yeah. I don't even think I ate anything. I went straight to bed. <laughs> That's an incredible story. Former NHL defenseman Mike Commodore joining us on Inside Sports, of course, from uh, Fort Saskatchewan, a second round draft pick. Uh, it was the New Jersey Devils, right? That drafted you back in 1999. Of course, you were uh, on that 06 team for, for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you this before we break, and then I want to get to some other stuff as well. But you're sitting there. Uh, I mean, you know what the passion is like in Canada and in the Edmonton market. When you, when uh, as an ex-player and still an observer of the game, when you hear that McDavid contract, the rumored contract, thirteen point two five million per season, are you like, "Yep, lock him up," or are you shaking your head a little bit? Like, what what do you think of that? Uh, I mean, that is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Um, that is a ton of cash. Uh, honestly, though, from, you know, it's not, I don't sit down and watch every Oiler game. I, you know, I mean, I, I went to a couple playoff games this year. I, I kind of keep track of the Hurricanes. I keep track of the Flames and I keep track of the Oilers a little bit. And, um, you know what? Yeah, that is a lot of money. There's no doubt about it. Um, but honestly, when you watch the games, I mean, against good players, he is noticeably faster and he is noticeably better. Um, so honestly, I would say lock him up. And he's probably the only guy in the league that I would say to do that. Wow. Okay. Mike, can you stay yeah, on the... I mean, I, I, know it can, I know it can hamstring. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I can stay, stick around. Okay, yeah, for sure. I'll just put you on hold. Mike Commodore is on the line uh, where he's going to stick with us to the bottom of the hour. We're giving him a break from helping his brother move in Calgary, and then he gets pizza later. So what a night. He's on Inside Sports and gets pizza all in the same evening. More with Mike when we get back. Inside Sports on Chet. 
this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, we're catching up with Mike Commodore, former NHL defenseman. Uh, had a great story about playing in Australia, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. We're having some fun with him till the bottom of the hour. Mike, thanks again uh, for being available. I really appreciate it. And a couple people have texted in, so i got to ask on behalf of the listeners, can you ask Mike, uh, the condition and or length of his hair now. <laughs> oh, uh, my hair has been high and tight since I retired. I uh, I go one on the sides and two on the top. The, my glory days are over. I mean, I guess if I'm really struggling down the road and I need to get a job, maybe I'll grow my hair out. Uh, but for now, it's high and tight. Okay, well, I had to ask, and you probably get asked that, or maybe you never get recognized anymore now because... Uh... <laughs> Not nearly as much, that's for sure. Uh, I'm now following you on Twitter. I'm ashamed to say I wasn't before today. Uh, what is it, at Commie22? Um, yeah, that's right. You're, you're not afraid to have an opinion, eh? So, I mean, some ex-players, they just kind of fade off. How come you're not afraid to uh, offer uh, criticism, even some naughty language sometimes, on the old Tweety box? Yeah, I mean, I will admit that I probably sent a few tweets that I probably maybe shouldn't have, but actually those have been few and far between. I mean, the, the stuff that, I mean, I can be a little critical, There are, but I'm actually really only critical of a couple of things. Right. By the most, for the most part, I try and, I, I try and be positive, and I try and, and I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm negative on there, other than a couple of subjects, I do get negative. But, I mean, for me, I, I mean, I do understand why, guys do kind of keep it down on there um and, and, and i get it i mean especially guys if they want to uh keep working in hockey you know i mean i can imagine that a couple of things i've said i've said have been frowned upon um but i don't think working in hockey's for me uh so i don't really care that doesn't bother me um but yeah i do get where other guys are coming from uh look you're the the situation with you and mike babcock has been talked about before but I'm just I find this amusing and don't take this the wrong way that I'm making fun of you because I just find it interesting given the online world your Wikipedia page actually has a section called feud with Mike Babcock with a couple (laughs) yeah I know you know what I I didn't know that until I want to say it's been within like maybe a month somebody pointed that out to me in Arizona and I was like, no way. And then I, that's fairly new, whoever wrote that. Uh, I guess it has kept coming up. Uh, and I see why. Obviously, he's, you know, I mean, the Leafs are the biggest markets. And, um, yeah, it does keep coming up. But, uh, yeah, no, I read it. I read it not too long ago, and I did kind of laugh. Has, um, I mean, has anybody ever told you to stop? Or have you ever had any of his supporters say, what are you doing? And if they did, would you care? Um, well, I mean, whenever I say anything on there, actually, you know, when I first started saying a few things on there, well, to be totally honest with you, the reason why I first started saying things on there, the first night I went off was when, uh, was when, uh, the Leafs were in Detroit for the first time after he was in Toronto. I won't name any names, but the reason why I first started is because I was encouraged by guys that played in Detroit at some point in time and big names. They were like, you should give it to them. So I'm like, you know what? I will. Why not? Uh, so that's what, one of the reasons why I started. And when I first, you know, when I first got it going, yeah. I mean, I, I get carved on Twitter all the time. It used to bother me, but now I just laugh it off. I mean, people are just looking for a reaction. Um, but, yeah, no, actually, since I've been, I mean, I try, I'm trying not to do it as much because I know it gets old. 
Uh, but actually, I, I don't get ripped on nearly as much. I think, I think maybe people are believing me more, or maybe people are tired of me. I don't know, but I try to keep it down. I don't want to talk about him all the time. Uh, I really could care less about him. I do it more for kind of a funny thing now, but. Um, yeah, I haven't really had any negative blowback, I wouldn't say. Okay, cool. I had to ask. I was just, I was just curious about it. Uh, no, all right, no, couple, a good question. Co- couple more for you. Uh, we just had the NHL draft in Chicago. I mentioned you were drafted 42nd overall the in 1999. It was New Jersey that took you. The draft was in Boston. Uh, I like asking these questions, especially in the summertime. Do you have uh, a cool draft story, or what's your memory of getting your name called by the Devils? Uh, yeah, you know, to be uh, my draft story, you know, I, I was never really, I wasn't sure where I was going to go. Um, you know, and, and Boston's a long ways away. I was in North Dakota at the time, and, um, you know, my parents were in Fort Saskatchewan. So at first I wasn't going to go. I went and did the comp, like the combine, and I worked out, did an individual test with New Jersey. And, uh, I wasn't going to go because I didn't want to, like, I didn't think I was going to be a first round pick. And, I, I was like, you know what, I, I don't, my parents were on board too. They're like, look, we don't want to sit there, you know, and your name, nobody calls your name. And so maybe we just won't go. And so I shared that with New Jersey because they asked me after my workout if I was going to go. And they're like, no, Mike, you need to go to the draft. So I had a pretty good idea. I mean, I was hoping that they were going to pick me at the end of the first round. They had like, they picked a goaltender, Aria Honan, but right at the end of the first round. But so I had a pretty good idea that they weren't going to let me go past the second, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I don't know if I really have any cool stories. I, I do remember probably the only thing that I really, well, I remember a few things, but one of the things I do remember is Boston picked Nick Boynton. And I don't know, it was like 15th or 16th overall. I'd never been to Boston in my life. And there were a bunch of fans right in the section next over to us, like beside us, beside me and my parents. And they picked, uh, they picked Boynton. And, like, the whole section or a good chunk of the section was, like, yelling that they should have picked me and pointing at me. I'm like, I, I thought at first I thought they, was, they were, like, ripping on me, and it was a joke, but they were serious. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. For some reason, I still remember that. But other than that, I mean, it was cool to meet Larry Robinson. You know, the dinner after was great. Um, so, yeah, it ended up being a really good experience. Well, they, well, they liked you in Boston. You'd have, you'd have the type of personality that would fit in there. Uh, you won the Stanley Cup 2006 in Carolina. You, you broke the hearts of a lot of people back in oil country playing for Carolina. Uh, you know, that's obviously, uh, it's funny, uh, Skyler Brindamore, uh, Rod Brindamore's son, was drafted by the Oilers. I had him on this show last night, and Bob Stoffer had Rod on earlier today, so some, some connections there. I'll, I'll just close with this, Mike. When you look back on that championship team, what separated it, separated it and, and allowed it to get over the hump and win the hardest tournament in the world of sports, the Stanley Cup? How did the, what was Carolina's formula that year? You know what, I, I think first off, I, I think we were that year, I think overall, I mean, we were a good team. We were supposed to be awful. I mean, if you, the experts at the beginning, coming out off the lockout and new rules, I think we were picked like 28th or 29th or whatever. Um, I think our our we had a good year. I mean, we finished. We lost our last home game of the year. We would have won it, or our last game of the year. We would have won it. We would have been first place in the East. Um, so we had a good year. Like we we were solid from the from the beginning till the end. Uh, I would say, you know, of all the teams, we probably had the team that was best um, adapted to the new rules, if that makes sense. 
you know, with the no hooking, and we we had a we had a team that could score. Our power play was unbelievable. We had a bunch of guys that could really score. And I mean, as far as the playoffs go, I mean, that just kind of kept us on going. And we had scoring on three lines, and our goaltender. I mean, Cam was unbelievable that run, which you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, your goaltender needs to be good if you're going to win the Stanley Cup, and and he was. Um, so yeah, I would say those were probably the the two biggest reasons. Right on. Mike, thanks for catching up. I, I hope we can do this again. This was a really fun conversation, and, and I appreciate your willingness to talk. And uh, I, I hope in the last uh, 25 minutes, the couch and the bed and the big dresser have gone in, and I saved you from all that heavy stuff of your brother's move. <laughs> yeah, you sure you don't want to keep talking? I can keep talking here until that truck's empty. <laughs> no, thanks a lot for having me, Reed. I'll, I'll come on whenever you want me. Right on. I'll be in touch. Thanks, Mike. All right. Take it easy. Mike Commodore checking in tonight, played 484 games in the NHL, 53 in the regular season, 53 more in the playoffs. And as I mentioned, a member of the 0506 Carolina Hurricanes who uh, broke Edmonton's heart with the uh, Game 7 Stanley Cup victory. Great to have uh, Mike on the show. And uh, yeah, at Commie22, if you want to follow him on Twitter and be uh, somewhat entertained and uh, see what he thinks of Mike Babcock, if you don't already know. Coming up to the 730 News... Again, the uh, report today that McDavid's going to sign for $106 million over eight years, $13.25 million per season, and uh, they're working on dry sidle. Little Eskimos talk with kicker Sean White, the hero again, last Saturday. Now they're getting ready for Montreal. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat. Well, unfortunately, J.C. shared out for the season with a ruptured Achilles, so that uh, Corey Jones is going to be in at linebacker. They'll activate Terrence Bullitt to be the backup linebacker. Looks like Trayvon Van will be in for Ladarius Perkins to return kicks and punts. Chris Edwards will stay in to help with kick returns. He had a pretty good game. Linebacker Alex Hoffman-Ellis added to the practice roster. Those are your Eskimos notes, of course, with the Oilers, the reported deal, and we'll find out on or after July 1st for sure. This would be McDavid's second contract, which would start next fall. Eight years, that's the most you can sign one of your own players for $106 million, 13.25. Eight years is the most. The money obviously could be higher, but 13.25 per season. All right. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Email inside sports at 630ched.com. You know, the Eskimos with a tense one on Saturday night. Ryan King will deliver it to O'Brien. The ball is pinned. The kick is up. And the Eskimos have won the football game. The nine-yard game winner by Sean White, place kicker and this year punter and kickoff specialist as well. Sean White joins us now. Sean, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing very well. I know everybody's happy about the Eskimos being 1-0, and and you are in a familiar situation, a kick uh, late in the game, or in this case, right at the end of the game, uh, to get the win. I mean, you've had a few of those as an Eskimo, haven't you, where you've had to tie it to send it or over to overtime or, or kick it to win it. Eh? You're getting pretty used to those. <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot, but when uh, when you have a great offense like we do, they always get me in, uh, in great 
situations uh, for those opportunities to happen. So, uh, lucky enough, they got me real, really close this time. It was only like a nine-yard kick, so even you could have made that one. Well, uh, let's not get carried away here, buddy, but I do appreciate that. But, but when they were starting the last drive, I think the long bomb surprised a lot of people, certainly the BC Lions, and I think even Eskimos fans were thinking, okay, four or five plays, maybe try to get a 40-yard kick. Were, were you more hyped up to maybe have to, uh, I mean, were you more mentally preparing for a longer kick there when you guys started that drive? Well, yeah, even when they got that touchdown uh, to tie it up, or, yeah, to tie it up, and then uh, before the point after was even attempted, I kind of look at Kinger, and me and him have a thing, like, Whenever it's close, we just say, all right, game winner time, because it just happens so much. So uh, right when they did that, we looked at each other as a game winner. I went by Riley and Moss and just said, you know, get me to the 48-yard line so I can make a 55-yarder to, to win it. So I was I was mentally preparing for a long one, but then uh, I don't even know what, what down was. It was the first down or something, and they threw that long bomb. It was, it was pretty crazy. So I ran out there to hit a PAT, and I, that's when uh, – they they pulled me off the field and they said Belcher got caught on the on the three yard line. I'm like, what? He got caught? <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it was perfect for me. I got to hit the the easy one there and in front of my friends and family and at home in BC. So it all worked out. Well, you know, I'm I'm wondering about the length of that kick because you know I know you jokingly said someone like me could make it. I, it, it clearly is is shorter than than average. It's even it's it's even shorter than what the old convert used to be. But in that situation, you know, obviously you're kicking to win, and I know defending teams always try to block field goals, but they're really trying to block that one. So when it's a shorter one like that with the game on the line, are you still worried about, you know, laces out and, and as much technical stuff? Are you taking the same sort of leg swing, or is maybe the quickness of the execution a little more important? Yeah, uh, a little bit of everything there. I, I kind of um, I moved the tee back. Normally we're about a seven and a T length uh, behind seven yards. There's seven yards and a T length, and then uh, but this time I said I even told Danny and Kinger I'm like, I'm moving it back, so I moved it back about a yard and a bit uh, just to give us a little bit more breathing room because I knew if anything they were going to try to block it up the middle. That's the only chance they had. So uh, I moved it back, and then plus I told Danny I'm like, get just get the ball on the tee. I don't care where the laces are. I'm just just put her down because I'm going to hit her as soon as you put the ball on the tee. And normally our get off speed is around 1.3 seconds, but that one was I timed it at one one point one one nine or one point one nine. So that's really really fast. But that that just gave them no chance whatsoever to block the ball. All right, and I, and I know you want to make it, but do you have any thought too? If I just pound it, it goes through, and we get the single and win anyway. No, even if it's my easiest stroke from that way, it'll still get through. Yeah. But if we were if we were off to a hash, but since we were down the middle, we if we were on an either hash, what we would have done is actually like if we were on the left hash, I would have moved my tee to the left side of that hash and aimed for the corner of the end zone and then kicked it through, and that takes away all the uprights out of the question, so there's no dead ball or anything. Right, and we did, and we just hit it through to the single, but. Uh, we were kind of talking about that, and I jokingly said to my coach, I'm like, but my stats, coach, my stats. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in the end, if it came down to that, I would have done it. But uh, this way it worked out for everybody. <laughs> All right, well, perfect. Another exciting fish, uh, finish, Eskimos kicker Sean White joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, I, I, how, how, do you, how has it been so far doing all three duties, uh, the punting, the kickoffs, and, and the place? I mean, look, I know you're a, a professional kicker, but it is an adjustment from what we saw the last couple 
couple of years. How has it been? Uh, it's not too bad. Um, I've always kept punting and stayed on top of it. I knew this uh, another opportunity would come. Uh, I've done it my whole life. Well, not my whole life, but since I've been playing football anyway. And uh, I enjoy it. It keeps me mentally into the game. You know, there's some kick. There's some games where I only get one kick a game, and or it could be a kick a game-winning situation at the very end of the game, and I haven't been on the field yet. So this way, I, it keeps my mind occupied. I can go in and hit, hit a punt, and I, you know, like last game, I went in, I hit a really good punt right off the bat, and right off the bat, I was like, okay, I'm in a good rhythm today. I feel good. And that just carried forward through my kickoffs and and through field goals. So I enjoy it. Yeah, it's a little bit more on the body, but uh, I enjoy it. I'm an athlete. I grew up playing lots of different sports. So I like to uh, be able to do everything and contribute more to the team. All right. Speaking of different sports, Sean, uh, you were at the World Curling Championship, which was at Edmonton. Where's this connection to curling come for, for you? How come you're such a fan? Well, I have a family of curlers. My mom and dad curl, my uncle and, and my aunt, they, they're all curlers. Um, so I used to hate curling. I used to hate watching it and everything to do with it. But uh, um, once I was, uh, I was a junior player when, it, when practicing with BC Lions full time, and then I wasn't making much money, obviously. So right after practice, I went straight to the curling club that was next to my house pretty much. And uh, I worked there for, I think, two and a half, three years. Yeah, doing the ice, and uh, so when I go there, I do the ice. But I had about two, a few hours just before the first draw would come out, and I would go out and throw rocks by myself. And I was kind of self-taught. I just watch people and kind of teach myself. Uh, I've, then I would put my name down on the spare list. So I'm pretty much working and playing and and curling at the same time. So I got really good really fast. I was playing two games every day. So uh, eventually some actually competitive teams wanted me to spare on their teams that uh, go on spiels for actually playing for cash. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I actually grew to uh, respect the game. It's not as easy as it looks. And once you start learning uh, strategies and things like that, uh, the game uh, is a lot more interesting. And, you know, through, through the years now, I've got to know, like, Rachel Holm and Chelsea Carey, uh, now Val Sweeting. I did a commercial with her during that whole thing. And all great people, and uh, they're still my friends, and we stay in touch, and they cheer me on, and I cheer them on. Well, and there must be a little bit of a similarity to kicking. I mean, it's a situation where you have sort of a set technique and you're faced with the challenge of a certain situation and you have to be able to, you know, have a reliable form and execute, right? Exactly. And that, that, those are things that, you know, me and those girls talk about. And, and you know, I remember talking to Rachel Holman. She's like, you know, when it comes down to that game-winning shot, the same thing as a game-winning field goal, those nerves will always come and, it, like, they'll affect you. But, you know, for me, I always felt like nerves always slowed things down. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh man, I, it took me a long time to get that kickoff. But I look at I look at it on film. I'm like, well, I was actually, if anything, a lot faster. But those nerves just slowed everything down. I was actually more focused. But she was always trying to defeat that whole process and just like feel no nerves, no nothing. And I'm like, well, you pretty much have to be non-human for those things to happen. So yeah, you can talk about those things, and they're all very, very similar. Uh, okay, that's great stuff. Sean White joining us, Eskimos kicker here in Inside Sports, host in Montreal on Friday. I got one more for you, away from the football field again. What's going on with, are, are you trying to be a pilot? Are you taking flying lessons, or what's the story here? Uh, yeah, I've always been a huge nerd with pilot, or 
like with airplanes, I guess. Um, pretty much, I want to be Maverick from Top Gun. That's, that's my <laughs> idol. Nice. That's my idol. But I'll never be able to fly a jet. But uh, a Cessna 172 is the closest I'll probably be. But um, you know, I, I just enjoy flying. I enjoy airplanes and all that stuff. And it's something that uh, you know, some I've always been interested in. So when I went uh, overseas to visit our troops in Kuwait and Afghanistan, we got to fly on um, at the time was Harper's plane, and uh, we got to go right in the cockpit and talk to the guys and. I knew pretty much how to use all the instruments on their plane except for a few. And they just said, well, are you a pilot? And I said, no. And they're like, well, maybe you should do it. Like, if you're that passionate about it, you already know most of this stuff. So uh, they kind of, I just talked to them for a few hours, really. And then when I uh, was finished with that season in Montreal, when I came home, I went to Boundary Bay Airport and signed up for flight school. And I just kept flying. So I'm, I'm pretty much got all my hours flying. And in my ground school, I just got to do the flight test. But now... I couldn't finish things in BC. Now that I'm here in Edmonton, I'm going to have to find a flight school and and get that done, and then hopefully work on my commercial. Okay, right on. Well, good for you. You're a guy with a lot of interests, but uh, you continue to be a reliable kicker for the Edmonton Eskimos. Thanks for talking to me and the fans tonight, Sean, and all the best on Friday night, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Sean White and the Eskimos home to Montreal. The game's going to start at 8, Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. Our countdown to kickoff here on 6.30, Ched, will commence at 6. Looking forward to that game. Some fireworks after leading into the Canada Day weekend. And don't forget, we have a special show Saturday morning from 9 to noon. Canada 150, live from Ottawa right here on 6.30. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. It is 7.46. I want to catch up on a couple of texts here about the uh, reported McDavid contract and some dry settle thoughts, and you'll hear a little bit from Eskimos head coach Jason Moss as well. This is Darius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6.30. Chad. All right, I'm going to make a prediction, Kellen Kennedy. Okay. And you know I reluctant to do that because I usually wind up making a fool of myself. Well, except that Super Bowl a couple years back where you got it right. Good point. Uh, Patriots 28, Seahawks 24. Even though I cheer for the Seahawks, I picked New England to win, and they won by that exact score. Uh, but I'm going to make a prediction here for Friday's Eskimos game. Okay. Fun will be had by all? The Eskimos are going to blow them out. All right. They are going to light them up. That's my prediction. It's going to be a... a, a I was going to say stampede, but that makes it sound like a Calgary reference. So you think that Durant alone cannot improve the fortunes of the Alouettes? No, I think he's good, though. I just think Edmonton has a good team this year, and mm-hmm. I think uh, they got a deadly receiving core. I mean, Bowman only had two catches last game. Right. So Williams and Zilster were the hero. I mean, that's going to be spread around. Oh, yeah. John White's an excellent running back. Great, great blocker. Very physical player. Uh, I think the Eskimos secondary is probably the weakest link on the team, but they got a great D-line, and I think they're going to get after Durant, and I think they're going to be energized. I think it's going to be a great crowd on a Friday night going into a long weekend, and I think the Eskimos are going to put the boots to them, as we used to say back on the farm. Do they break the 40-point plateau during the game? Because that's kind of the universal football. I'll say no, they don't quite get to 40. Oh, okay. But I'll say they win. But thirty uh, to forty. I'll say they win comfortably. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I'll say they win by at least twenty-one. Okay. Fair enough. Minimum. At least and minimum. Okay. Being redundant. <laughs> All right. And burn that tape if I'm wrong. So especially if Montreal wins, they won't. 
Edmonton's better. The Eskimos have a good team. Third Pint texting in. Now, I don't know if that's just his username or if he changes his username based on how many pints he has had. But he says the stats are the same for Dreisaitl and Eberle in their second seasons. Difference is that Jordan did it in fewer games and without an all-world center. Hall was also injured for much of that season. Eberle was rewarded with a $6 million deal. Should that mean Leon should get $9 million? That's pretty steep inflation. Glad to have Eberle on my Islanders team, by the way. Third pint, a supporter of the New York Islanders. Fitz says, let's look at Nikita Kucherov. The last three seasons, 64, 66, and 85 points. In 2016, so this past season, he started a new three-year contract, pays him 4.77 per season. Different player than Dreisaitl, but this is my point. They didn't throw all the cash at Kucherov, but he played amazing and is earning his contract and will get a big extension next season. Well, they have Stamkos. Uh, you're right, different player. I mean, here's the thing. I, I, first of all, Fitz, that's a really good text because you got a good argument and you're making a good, you know, sort of comparable situation. Different position. Uh, Kucherov's uh, a little older than Dreisaitl, a couple of years. So after he got a 66-point season, he signed the contract. I mean, Leon got 77 points. That's still 11 more points. Um, and he's going to play center. So I don't think personally, and, and again, that's a great text because it makes, it makes me think. I don't think they're 100% comparable. And and I was Bob said Bob thinks maybe Leon gets maybe he gets seven and a half per se- per season on a shorter deal, but I mean he's gonna get you know he's he's gonna get a lot of money he's the second best player on the Oilers, and Fitz texting back Kucherov got eighty five points without Stamkos though no I mean fair comment fair comment and he's gonna his next deal. You're right, it's probably going to be a lot bigger. But here, here's the thing, Fitz. How do you go to Leon Dreisaitl and say, take $4.5 million? Right, or how do you even offer him six and say, we just want you to make the same as Nugent Hopkins and Lucic, even though you got 25 more points than those two guys, more than that. So that, that would be my counter to that. But you, you make a really good point. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for texting in. Do appreciate it. Jason Moss talking about the short week and the play of running back John White. We have everything planned out for the year. We knew what short weeks were going to be like. We had already, you know, scheduled everything that we wanted to. It's been a great week, to be quite honest with you. Our players knew what to expect. Uh, coaches did the, did the grinding, you know, right after the BC game to get put that one to bed and move on. And you know, um, you know, we did a little bit prior prior to that. So um, the guys are ready mentally, I believe, and physically. It's a short week for them, so they had to do their due diligence and you know, getting off their feet when they could and and still being physically prepared to play this game but you know the short week doesn't really plan, pan into anything you know we'll be ready to play and focus and it's our home opener we want to you know play well in front of our home fans and get everyone in Edmonton juiced about the Eskimos. John White had a great performance on Saturday uh, you, you take away that 43 yard run he had 16 
carries for 61 yards. So, but you can't. So he had 17 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. But 17 seems to be the most impressive number. Just staying committed to that to that run game. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what our offense is. Is we'd like to you know be physical up front and be able to run the ball on people. Um, again, hopefully with more plays you know ran, that number goes up. Um, but you know we want efficiency on offense more than we want anything. And uh, if we can keep getting ourselves into into good second and manageable situations and uh, limit the two and outs, um, we'll be better for it. And the run game is a big a big key to that. So um, we'll we'll always stick to it. Um, but you know if it, if it comes to a game where we got to throw it 50, we'll throw it 50. But you know that's not how we would like to operate. When when it comes to and you've been in that situation before, both as a player and as a as a play caller, um, the run game can get get you little or to nothing early um, but some coordinators will stay with it some coordinators will dump the run and just try to do other things to get quick yards what's what's the process in that is that is that a tough process to go through i mean yeah i mean we told her we tell our line our running backs and stuff i mean it's easy as a play caller when you're getting yards to keep calling the run. It's when you, yeah, when you do have negative plays or you know not enough yards, and you're constantly putting yourself into second and unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at those situations are never easy. And so you start looking at all your plays on your call sheet and start limiting some runs. But uh, you know that's a responsibility all of us take, and uh, they understand that. Um, teams are going to try to stop our run. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. You know, you you always hear it in football. You want to make a team one-dimensional, so that's always going to be probably a focus when teams play us but I feel like that's one of our strengths it's hard to take away um, but we try to mix it up and when a team's start, starting to do it we'll try to mix it up but at the end of the day our mentality is to grind through it too uh, we're a better football team when we're balanced um, and we know that so the ultimate goal is to not get frustrated and to keep grinding and uh to limit the negative plays if there appears to be any in the run game. All right, head coach of your Edmonton Eskimos, Jason Moss, talking to Dave Campbell. Love the way they're using John White. You do have to stay committed to the run. You can sneak him out of the backfield to to catch a few passes. And I, that Eskimos receiving core, Zilstra, Bowman, and Duke Williams, what a find. Le- leading the way, big body guy. Uh, you know, we went up and able, able to make a couple catches against the BC Lions. Pretty, I, I am pretty encouraged about the team. E- even with the injuries to the linebacking core, Konar stepped in well. We'll see how Corey Jones does for J.C. Sherritt. And I really think that D-line is going to, you know, maybe hide some uh, some deficiencies and some inexperienced guys in the secondary who are still learning the ropes a little bit. So, yeah, that's going to be fun Friday night. Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. The Toronto Blue Jays won tonight. 4 nothing over the Baltimore Orioles. Marcus Stroman goes to 8-4 and on the season. Great game for him. 119 pitches. Pitches, eight strikeouts, five hits in seven and two-thirds. Obviously did not allow a run. Uh, Jose Bautista had a solo home run, as did Justin Smoke, as Toronto gets up to 37-40 and 40 on the season. Still trying to track down that 500 mark after a uh, really poor start to the year. Of course, we'll keep an eye on everything to do with uh, the Oilers. The report today is that McDavid... Eight years, $106 million will be the extension, which would take effect for the 18-19 season. He'll still play this coming year on the final year of his entry-level deal. Again, they can't uh, actually do anything until July 1st. So in the next uh, maybe few days, maybe next week, we'll get an official announcement. 7.58, we're coming up to the 8 o'clock news. I want to thank... My guest tonight, you heard from Bob Stoffer, you heard from former NHL defenseman Mike Commodore, you heard from Edmonton Eskimos and future pilot Sean White. 
Kellen Kennedy has been your studio producer this evening, doing a great job. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. We got another edition of Inside Sports from 6 to 8 tomorrow. I'll tell you what, the uh, Brick Tournament at West Edmonton Mall is coming up. They got a news conference tomorrow morning. I'm going to that, so uh, we'll tell you what's going on and have a feature or two out of it as well. My name is Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Have a great evening. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.